Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. It's an inspiring story of a young man who experienced the joy of having a heart transplant. He thought he was going to die. There was not much hope, but he experienced a heart transplant. And I I don't think very many of you in this room have experienced a heart transplant. I know some of you have had open-heart surgery, but a full heart transplant. But what if I were here to tell you this morning that every single person here needs a heart transplant? Every single one of us in this room was born into this world with a heart that is evil and wicked and stands opposed to our great God. And without God doing a work of replacing our heart, if we were to die with the heart that we were born with, every single one of us would spend eternity separated from God. And we know the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came and died on the cross and he rose again so that you and I could experience eternal life and have this heart transplant that the Bible speaks about. Listen to what Ezekiel promised. But this is way back in the Old Testament. Ezekiel promised there would be a coming day where God would do this new work. Ezekiel 36, 26-27. And I will give you a new heart And a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God here in the Old Testament promises to take a dead, stony, rebellious, unresponsive heart and replace it with a heart that beats for him, a heart that's passionate for him, a heart that desires to worship him. And so here's the question that I have for you this morning. Have you experienced this heart transplant? Have you experienced the spiritual heart transplant that every single one of us needs to experience to where our old heart's been replaced and we have a new heart that beats for Christ? in his glory, and passionately longs for him. And you may be asking yourself, what in the world does a heart transplant have to do with Genesis chapter 17? Well, it has a lot to do with Genesis chapter 17. Last week, if you remember the story from last week in Genesis 16, Abraham and Sarah believed the myth. Remember, last week was Mythbusters. They believed the myth that God helps those who help themselves. And they tried to, to, to speed the process along and, and bring this child into being. And so you have Hagar, the servant girl that Abraham goes into, and she gets pregnant, and there's friction in the home, and there's all these problems. And then basically Ishmael is born. He's not the son of the promise. He's not Isaac. He's, he's Ishmael because God tried to um, promise Abraham, or not Abraham, God tried to. Abraham tried to, to move the process along because he thought he knew better than God. So here we come to Genesis 17, and it's 13 years later. It's 13 years after the fact. Ishmael is 13 years old, and and Abraham has lived with his consequences, and God comes to him 13 years later and reaffirms the covenant that he made with him. 
And so Genesis chapter 17 is pretty straightforward. I mean, I'm going to read it, I'm going to explain it, but we're going to spend a lot of time talking about something else. It's, it's clearly divided into four parts, and we're going to briefly look at these four parts. And so in verses 1 through 8, we see the covenant reaffirmed. In verses 1 through 8, the covenant reaffirmed. So let's read that together. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. This is a reaffirmation of the covenant. God says, I'm the Lord Almighty, I'm El Shaddai. That term, El Shaddai. And God says to Abraham, Walk before me and be blameless because I'm going to reaffirm my covenant. There in verse 2 when it says, I make my covenant, that Hebrew word make really means reaffirm, reestablish. I'm going to reestablish the covenant that I made with you, Abraham, back in Genesis 12, back in Genesis 15. You're going to have land. You're going to have children. I'm changing your name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And then in verse 8, God says to him, I will be their God. It's basically a reaffirmation of the covenant. Abraham's name gets changed to, or Abram gets changed to Abraham. So it's the covenant reaffirmed. God reaffirms this covenant that he had already made with Abraham. Well, let's keep going. Next, we see the covenant sign. In verses 9 through 14, the covenant sign. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Pretty straightforward, right? Abraham, you need to circumcise yourself and everybody in your family, and this is a perpetual outward sign when that child turns eight that they're part of the covenant. Now, circumcision, and children, you can go home and talk to your parents about what circumcision is. It's a cutting away of an external body part that's probably un, really unneeded. But it was a private, personal thing. You didn't go around telling people you were circumcised. It, it, it was a reminder to parents when they saw their baby boy, that their baby boy was part of the covenant. It was a sign to a wife when she married a good Hebrew, personally, privately, that he was going to lead the family in the covenant. And it was a reminder to the man every day that he was part of the covenant. It was an outward sign that God gave to the nation of Israel to mark them out as separate, to be an outward sign of this covenant. Circumcision. 
the cutting off of the foreskin. Now, let's keep moving. Verses 15 through 21. For lack of a better term, I call this covenant humor. The covenant humor. Verse 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I've blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Okay, Abraham's name is changed to Abram. I mean, Abram's name is changed to Abraham. Sarai's name is changed to Sarah. And God says to Abraham, you're going to have a child. Now, how many women in here are 90 years old? I don't think we have any 90-year-old women. How many 90-year-old women want to have children? That's a laughing matter. I mean, if God tells you that, Abraham rolls over and he begins to laugh because this 90-year-old barren woman, he's probably laughing for two reasons. He's probably laughing because of what happened last week. I don't want to go down that path again. And he's probably laughing because she's 90 years old. George Sweeting, the past president of Moody Bible Institute, once gave a definition of optimism. He said this, this is optimism. It's when an 85-year-old man marries a 35-year-old woman and moves into a 12-room house next to an elementary school. (laughs) Isaac means laughter. Isaac, the name Isaac means laughter. A 90-year-old woman having a baby. It, It doesn't make sense. It's funny. It's humorous. But God's going to establish his covenant with Isaac, not Ishmael, with Isaac, the son of the promise. Okay, let's keep moving. In verses 23 to 27, we simply see the covenant obeyed. The covenant obeyed. Verse 22, when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among them of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in his flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised. Pretty straightforward, right? Everybody gets circumcised, all right? Closed case. Pretty straightforward story. But you may be asking yourself, what in the world does this have to do with me today? And especially if you're a woman, you're thinking, what in the world does this have to do with me today? What in this, what's this business about circumcision? I mean, in the, in the New Testament, basically, the, the, the issue was put to bed because Paul and his writings in the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, both of those came together and said, circumcision doesn't really matter for the Christian anymore. The only reason we really circumcise today is either for health or hygienic reasons or maybe family tradition, but there's nothing spiritual, there's nothing Christian, there's nothing significant about the outward sign of circumcision anymore. It was a sign for the covenant Israelites so what does it have to do with us? 
Well, let me, let, me, let me ask you two questions. Number one, what is circumcision? Very simply, it's a cutting away. It's a cutting away. It's a taking away. And number two, what did God ask of Abraham back in verse 1? What is Abraham told in verse 1? When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Walk before me and be blameless. Abraham was required to walk in obedience to God. So let me ask you a question for you. How in the world can any of us walk in obedience to Almighty God in and of ourselves? In our own flesh, in our own power, in our own resources, how in the world can we walk before God and be blameless? And the answer is we cannot obey God. And we cannot love God unless God does something to us. God must do something to us in order for us to be able to love him and obey him. And the Old Testament calls this circumcision. Now, for the Israelites, physical circumcision was a big deal. It marked them out as God's people. But God has always desired something deeper for his people than just the physical outward appearance. God has always aimed for the heart. And so all the way back in the Old Testament, God has promised that he's going to do a circumcision, but not a circumcision that we would think of, a physical circumcision, but a spiritual heart circumcision. A spiritual heart circumcision. So here's our main idea this morning. I know it's taken us a while to get there, but it's simply this. God sovereignly changes our hearts so that we can freely love and obey him. God sovereignly changes our hearts so that we can freely love and obey him. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. Listen to what the Lord says. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. There you've got it. God has promised to circumcise our hearts. Now, this may be weird terminology to you that you've never heard before. What does it mean to have your heart circumcised? I want to explain that this morning because I think it's crucial. I think it's absolutely crucial. And here's why I think it's crucial. Because we have so many people who've professed faith in Christ, but their life is no different than the world. And so let me just say it right up front. If you've truly experienced this heart circumcision, it will radically transform the way you live and you will be different. And I'm afraid in our culture today, we have too many people that quote unquote say they're Christians, say they believe Jesus, but they never have truly been radically changed from the inside out and it doesn't impact how they live their lives for the glory of Christ. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to look at four implications or four applications, or four issues related to heart circumcision. And when I say heart circumcision, I don't mean that you prayed a prayer once when you were five, or you walked an aisle, or you got baptized, or you got confirmed, or you raised your hand at a meeting, or you went forward at an altar call. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a radical change that God in his sovereignty does, where he comes and he changes your heart from the inside out, and he frees you to love him and to obey him. 
So let's look at four of these issues related to heart circumcision this morning. And here's the first implication, the first aspect of heart circumcision. First of all, heart circumcision brings a spiritually dead person to new spiritual life. Okay, let's take a journey through the New Testament. Turn with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. If you don't know where Colossians is, the way I remembered it was General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, or you can look in your table of contents, or it's on page 1,253. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. It says this, In him also... In Jesus, you were circumcised. There's that language again. With a circumcision made without hands. In other words, it's not a physical circumcision. It's not some priest or somebody coming and cutting away. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You've got this language of deadness. Paul says you were spiritually dead and God made you alive. That's the picture of baptism. When you are baptized under the waters of baptism, it's a picture of you dying to your old life and being raised to newness of life. And Paul says you were spiritually dead and God came and made you alive. God did this circumcision in your heart through the powerful working. Notice he says the powerful working. There in verse 12. It's the Greek word energeia, where we get our word energy, the powerful energy. Now, if you don't like the terminology heart circumcision, because it sounds kind of weird, when's the last time you're going to walk up to somebody and says, Hey, when has your heart been circumcised? They're going to probably look at you like, I have no idea what you're talking about. If you don't like that terminology, here's other biblical terms being born again, being regenerated, being made alive being a new creature in Christ, being a new person. It's all the same thing. Just here specifically, the terminology is used in having this heart circumcision. And so here's the issue. If we are absolutely dead in our sins and we have to be raised to new life, you and I cannot produce the power in order to raise ourselves from deadness to life. God must do it. You see, there's an inflated view of man in culture, but there's an inflated view of man in the church. Here's the way mankind as sinners is often portrayed in churches. We're just kind of sick, and we're over here on the deathbed, and if somebody would just hand us some medicine, we still have the power to reach up and grab the medicine and take it. Or we just need somebody to come and maybe do a little bit of surgery, but we're not dead, we're just kind of sick. Other people say, well, it's kind of like this. 
You're, you're, you're in the ocean, and you're, you're drowning in the ocean, and, and your head's bobbing up and down under the waves, and, and all you need to do is just somebody to throw a life preserver out to you, and if they throw a life preserver out to you, you've got the power to reach up and grab the life preserver and take it. You, you're, you're, you're not drowning yet. You're drowning, but you're not dead. You're sick, but you're not dead. You see, that vision of mankind is too good. The Bible says we are dead. You're not on your deathbed. You're not in a hospital sick. You're in the coffin. Your head's not bobbing up and down in the ocean. You're a dead corpse at the bottom of the sea. You and I were spiritually dead. And unless God comes in his sovereign grace and does a resurrection through the power of his working in our lives, none of us would ever have faith in Christ. We need a resurrection. Not just a little bit of help. We need resurrection. And you and I cannot produce that. Only God can produce that circumcision in our hearts to bring us from spiritual death to spiritual life. So let me ask you the question this morning. Have you experienced this spiritual resurrection? And you know it. You know if you're dead. You know if you are dead in your heart of hearts. You know if you've experienced this powerful resurrection that only God can do. What's the second issue related to heart circumcision? Well, it's right there in our text in, second, or in Colossians chapter 2. It's this. Heart circumcision brings the blessing of complete forgiveness of all sin. Look at verse 13. And you who were dead, not sick, not drowning, you who were dead... In your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive. You didn't make yourself alive. God made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven us some of our trespasses. Is that what your Bible says? What does it say? All of our trespasses. Every single one of your sins, past, present, and future, have been nailed to the cross of Christ in the moment that you have that heart circumcision happen to you, you get the blessing of having all of your sins forgiven, every single one of them. It's a blessing. It's a blessing to know that you're not under condemnation, that you are not a, uh, you're not judged by God, that all of your sins have been paid for by Christ. And Paul makes the argument about Abraham. In Romans chapter 4, Paul says, Abraham experienced the blessing of forgiveness before he was circumcised. Because, see, the Jews thought that the circumcision was this special thing that, that meant that they were set up hard as God's people. And, yes, it was. But Paul says even before Abraham was circumcised, he experienced this saving grace in his life. If you go to Romans chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, I think it will be up on the screen. Paul says, Blessed, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count as sin. It's a blessing to have your sins forgiven. Paul says it's blessed is the person who's had their sins forgiven. And then he goes on to say, is this blessing then only for the circumcised? Is this blessing only for the Jews? Is this blessing only for those who have the outward mark of circumcision? Or is it for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but it was before he was circumcised. Listen to some of these these wonderful passages of Scripture. 
you need to underline, highlight, meditate on these passages of Scripture. I will give them to you up on the screen. Psalm 103.12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Do the east and the west ever meet? No, they don't. God removes our sin. Isaiah 43.25. I, speaking of God, I am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. I'm going to blot them out. I'm not going to remember your sin. Micah 7, 19. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities under our foot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Do you need this to happen to you this morning? Do you need to have your sins cast into the depth of the sea, never to be brought up again? Do you need your sin to be separated as far as the east is from the west? Do you need to have God to remember your sin no more? Do you need to have the blessing of having all of your sins, past, present, and future, forgiven this morning? And if your answer is yes, and I hope it is, you can't produce that. You can't forgive yourself. You can't do anything good enough to do that. God has to circumcise your heart. He has to raise you from spiritual death to spiritual life so that you can experience the blessing of forgiveness. So number one, heart circumcision means that we've been raised from spiritual death to spiritual life. Number two, it means that we've experienced this complete, 100% total forgiveness of all of our sins. But here's number three. Heart circumcision brings a renewed desire to love Jesus with the totality of our lives. When God does this deep work of heart circumcision, he does something to you. He does something powerful to you. We read this passage earlier, but I want to read it again. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And the Lord, your God, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. Okay, why? There's a so that clause in there. The purpose, because. Why is God going to do this? What's the result of God circumcising your heart? What is the end result? So that you will what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with, and that you may live. Mark 12, 28-30. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he had answered them well, asked him, this is Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Pretty important question, right? What's the most important? Of all the commandments, Jesus, what is the most important? Verse 29, Jesus answered, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The great commandment, right? We are to love Jesus with the totality of our beings, with everything that we are, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. We are to love Jesus passionately. But may I remind you, you and I cannot possibly do this. You and I cannot fulfill the great commandment unless our hearts have been circumcised unless the Holy Spirit has done this deep work of making us alive, unless you've been born again, unless you've been made into a new person. Because this is a deep love. It's not just a surface, I love Jesus. Listen to the psalmist. Listen to Psalm 73, 25 through 26. Is this the way you love Jesus? 
Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Do you love Jesus that way? Or how about Psalm 42, 1 through 2? As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the God, for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Do you love Jesus that way? Do you pant? Do you thirst? Do you long? Do you hunger? Do you have this deep, passionate longing to love Jesus with the totality of your being? If you have that this morning, it's because God has put that in you. God first loved you and gave you the ability to do that. If you want to love Jesus that way, you can't do that unless God circumcises your heart. R.C. Sproul has written a very famous book entitled The Holiness of God. I think every Christian should have it on their top ten reading list, but listen to what he says. How can we love a holy God? The simple answer I can give to this vital question is that we cannot. Loving a holy God is beyond our power. Unless we are born of the Spirit of God, unless God sheds his holy love in our hearts, unless he stoops in his grace to change our hearts, we will not love him. He is the one who takes the initiative to restore our souls. We can love him only because he first loved us. To love a holy God requires grace, grace strong enough to pierce our hardened hearts and awaken our dead souls. If you want to love Jesus this morning with the totality of your being, you cannot unless God gives it to you in grace. Grace strong enough to get through the resistance of that dead, stony, dark heart that Ezekiel talks about and God reaches down deep and causes you to be born again. He raises you to new life and he gives you those new desires. You cannot produce this. The Bible is very clear. You cannot produce this. God has to come in his sovereignty and do this to us in this heart circumcision. So number one, it means we've gone from spiritual death to spiritual life. We've had, number two, all of our sins forgiven. Number three, it it gives us the power to love Jesus. But here's the third thing. I mean, the fourth thing. Heart circumcision brings us the spiritual power to walk in obedience. I want you to think about these two issues this morning. Loving God and obeying God. Isn't that the heart of Christianity? I don't know about you, but I want to love Jesus and I want to obey Jesus. I mean, if you can boil the Christian life down, it's those two things. You love Jesus with everything that you are and you obey him with everything that you are. You love Jesus, you obey Jesus. And you cannot love Jesus unless he's done something to you to give you the power to love him. You cannot obey Jesus unless he's given you the power to to obey him. And that's what Ezekiel tells us. Never in a million years are you going to obey Jesus unless you've had this heart circumcision. Now, some people may think, well, you know, I want to do the right thing. I want to be moral. I want to try hard. And there may be a twinge of morality inside you, inside you where you kind of want to obey God. But it's usually out of self-preservation and not wanting to look bad in front of others. It's not for the pure motive of glorifying Christ and enjoying him forever. You lack the power to do it. Listen to Ezekiel 36. I read this earlier, but I want you to read it carefully with me. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. This is God speaking. Listen to how many I wills, I wills. God never once tells us to give ourselves a new heart. God never once says, cause yourself to be born again. God never once says, raise yourself to new life. God says, I'm going to do this. 
Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And here's the one that you need to pay attention to, verse 27. I will put my spirit within you and what? Cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What happens in this heart circumcision? You and I get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in us. The old heart of stone is replaced. We're given a new heart. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us, and he gives us the power to obey so that you may walk in obedience, so that you may walk in obedience to Christ. It's this powerful, transformed life that only comes when God does this. Now, let me just talk for just a few moments about how love for Jesus and obedience for Jesus come together. Many people will say, I love Jesus. And yet walk in disobedience to Jesus. Many people will have warm, fuzzy feelings and say, yeah, I love Jesus. But they'll disobey Jesus. Let's let Jesus speak for himself to show us how loving Jesus and obeying Jesus fit together. Listen to the words of Jesus. John 14, 15. Very clear very emphatic from the words of our Lord himself. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's pretty clear, isn't it? How do we show Jesus that we love him? We keep his commandments. You can talk all you want about loving Jesus, but if there's no obedience, is it really love? I'm very concerned. In our culture, How many people say they love Jesus? I love Jesus. I'm friends with Jesus. Jesus is a cool guy. I like Jesus. But their lives show no obedience to the lordship of who Jesus is. You cannot say, I love Jesus and not obey him. Jesus won't let you do it. He flat out tells us, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then here's the question. Well, if we can't keep his commandments because we don't have the ability to do it, how can we love him and how can we obey him? Well, John gives us the answer in 1 John. John doesn't leave us hanging to Jesus' words. Yes, the command is to love Jesus by obeying him, but listen to how John explains that in 1 John chapter 5. 1 John 5, 1 through 3. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. What does John say? If you've been born of God, you can obey. It's just another way of saying you've experienced this heart circumcision. You've experienced the heart circumcision. You've been born of God. You've been born again. You've been regenerated. You've been resurrected. You've been made alive. You've been freed. You've been given grace. Whatever term you want to use, it's got to happen to you. And you cannot produce it. But when it does happen to you, God will free your heart to love Jesus and obey him. And his, and his commands are not burdensome. Why are they not burdensome? Because we've got the Holy Spirit living inside of us, giving us the power the energy, the power to work deeply within us to obey. Now let's bring this into sharp focus for a moment. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 17. What did God say to Abraham? 
walk before me and be blameless. And Abraham, the way that I'm going to show the world that you walk with me, and the way I'm going to show the world that you're blameless, the way I'm going to show the world, Abraham, that you are different. Every time you and your family walk through the promised land, every time you and your family travel through the promised land, when you do business with others, when you have conversation with others, when you deal with other people, when the outside world looks at you, Abraham, the way they're going to know that you are mine is circumcision. You're going to be different than all the nations around you. You will be set apart by the cutting away of the foreskin, Abraham. You will be different. It'll be noticeable. It'll be demonstrable. You will have a changed life, and everyone else will know that you are different because there's been a cutting away. Abraham, walk blameless. So let me ask you the very obvious question. When the outside world looks at your life, when the outside world looks at your family, when the outside world looks at this church, do they see evidence of a people who have experienced a heart circumcision? Or do they look in and see a mirror of themselves? Because let me say it loud and clear, if you've experienced the new birth, there is newness. There's a difference. There's a distinction Just as Abraham was marked out as to be separate because of physical circumcision, the church has been marked out to be different because of spiritual circumcision. And there's got to be a difference. If there's no difference, if there's no fruit, if there's no change, if there's nothing that the outside world sees, then you've got to ask your question, have I truly been changed? Because if you've been changed from the inside out, there'll be a difference. I'm not saying you'll be perfect. I'm not saying that you're never going to fail, but you're going to have a love for Jesus that others are going to see and be like, that's different. You're going to have an obedience to Jesus that others are going to see and they're going to say, that's different. So are we different in a winsome and attractive way that the world looks at us just like they looked at Abraham and said, you people are strange. Abraham, you're walking around without foreskin. That's weird. Sorry for being a little bit too clear there Christians you're walking around with new hearts and it's strange but again here's my fear my fear is there's a lot of pretenders in church there's pretenders who know the language there's pretenders who know the lingo there's pretenders who can play a good game at being a Christian and you play the game and you put on a good front, and you act like a Christian, but deep down in your heart, you've never experienced the change. And eventually, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come to fruition. You're going to be found out. Now, it may not be in this world. It may be on the day of judgment. But if you've never radically experienced the change of heart that comes by a sovereign God in His grace, then here's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. You can't produce it. You can't do it, but you can ask for it. So if you're here this morning and you know you're dead, you know deep in your heart that you have not experienced what others call this born-again experience, then cry out to Jesus and ask him to do it. Throw yourself at the mercy of Christ and say, give me the new heart. Take out my heart of stone." I can't take it out. Take out my heart of stone, Holy Spirit, and put the new spirit within me. 
Cry out to God to do what God can do. You can't do it. Only God can do it. The only thing you've got to do is recognize that you're helpless and recognize that you're sinful and recognize you can't do it and you throw yourself at the mercy and the power of God alone who can do it and you cry out and say, God, you've got to do this. If I'm ever going to be changed, it's because you've got to do it. I can't produce it. There may be others in this room where you have experienced this heart circumcision. I think for most of us in here, we'd say, I've been born again. I've been changed from the inside out. I've been transformed by grace. I've been saved by grace. I've been raised from new life. I'm no longer dead in my sin. But man, my life sure doesn't look like it. I look like the rest of the world around me. There's no distinct change. There's no distinct difference. My love for Christ is not where it should be. My obedience for Christ is not where it should be. I'm not loving Jesus with all my heart, and I'm not obeying Jesus. And the beauty of the gospel, if you're a Christian, is that doesn't have to be the way it is because the Holy Spirit lives in you, and he causes you to walk, and he gives you the love. So you do the same thing that the other person that doesn't have Christ yet does, even though you are a Christian. You cry out for God to give it to you. God, give me a heart for you. God, give me the obedience. God, give me the grace. You see, as we live circumcised lives for the glory of Christ, may there be a difference. May there be an attractive difference. As we live as ambassadors of hope to a lost world, as we live holy lives before a lost world, as we live humble lives before a lost world because we've been forgiven, and we worship God by obeying him. Let us praise God for the miraculous power of the heart transplant. Every single one of us needs it. If you haven't experienced the transplant this morning, cry out to a sovereign God to give it to you. And experience the freedom and the joy that comes in having all of your sins forgiven, the deadness taken away, the wickedness of your heart cut away, the shackles coming off, and the freedom for you to rise to Jesus and love him and obey him with all of your heart. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. I wish I could peer into everyone's soul here this morning and be Holy Spirit Junior, but I cannot, and I don't think you want me to. So I don't know what's going on in your hearts this morning. Only a sovereign God does. But I do know this. I do know there are people in this room that are dead in sin. And your only hope is to be made alive. So my prayer in these moments is that you would cry out to God to give you a new heart. I also know from experience in myself that there's many in this room whose love for Christ has grown cold. Whose obedience for Christ has grown cold. Would you cry out to God to fan that flame and give you that in his grace? You can't produce it. I can't produce it. Only a sovereign God can do it, but we can sure ask. As children of the king, we can ask. And the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. 
So spend some time crying out to a sovereign God to give you only what he can give you. Father, I sense that you're doing something in this room just because of the quiet nature. And oftentimes, Holy Spirit, when you come in power, there's a stillness and a quietness that come upon the people because we've been confronted by something that we cannot produce. And while I cannot look into the spiritual realm per se, Father, I do know that you're working in people's hearts as the potter, as we sang about earlier, molding and making and shaping. And Holy Spirit, I know that you're the sovereign spirit that blows like the wind, John says, where it wills. And you may be sovereignly blowing right now like the wind in people's lives, calling dead people to life. Father, I wouldn't preach the gospel if I didn't believe that it was up to you to do the change. I wouldn't stand up here one minute if I didn't believe that God, you alone are the one that brings life. So I ask humbly as your child, Would you cause people to be born again this morning? Would you raise dead people to life this morning? Would you bring a resurrection power that never has been experienced before in those that are lost this morning? So they can experience, Jesus, the freedom of what it means to have their, all their sins forgiven and be, be freed to love you. And, oh, Holy Spirit, would you give us who are believers that deep passion in our hearts to love Jesus with all of our hearts. And, Holy Spirit, would you give us the power, the supernatural power to obey Jesus with all of our life. That we would love Jesus by keeping his commandments and realize, Holy Spirit, you live in us to give us the power to do that. Would would be marked as different because we love Jesus and we obey Jesus. And the world looks at us and says, that is so unusual. I can't figure it out, but I want it. And through the purity and the power that, that you've done in our lives, Lord, may you draw all types of people to Christ and he would be high and lifted up through the lives that we live and the proclamation that comes from our mouths. So thank you, Father, for promising to do a heart transplant. Thank you that you've circumcised our hearts. We give you all praise and glory for this awesome song. Amen.